So we have been, as a church, over the school year so far, walking through, let me find it, walking through the story. And uh, if you're new here this morning, and first of all, welcome, because there are a lot of new people here right now. Um, You're coming in at a good time. Uh, This is the story, and it's basically a collection of real scripture just taken right from the Bible and written uh, or compiled together chronologically uh, so that you can get a good flow of God's redemptive plan told through the Bible. Now, we're only about halfway through, so this is a great time uh, for you to join in. So what you just saw up there was from chapter 16 of this book. Now, you can get a copy of this out at the welcome desk. A $5 donation helps us recover our costs. The books are $5, but uh, if you don't have cash on you, because I like never have cash, don't worry about it. Just go grab one, and whenever, if ever, is fine. No big deal. I uh, would love, if you want to hang out with us, uh, to have you follow along in the story. Uh, so, um, we are in the middle of the Old Testament, in, in kind of the thick of the Old Testament. It's, it's dense and uh, a little bit dry at times. In fact, you can even maybe say, without getting struck by lightning, that it's a little bit boring um, in these couple of chapters. But I really want to encourage you to fight through. And remember, this is all a part of God's redemptive plan. So what I'm going to do today... And try to rally us through and make this stuff as interesting as possible. Um, I have two sets of threes. One set of three, or there are three little, I guess, talking points uh, that will help you hopefully get through just the general idea of the Old Testament as you read and maybe get a little bit bogged down. And the second set of three deals with chapter 16 of the story. So, Um, A quick reminder before we get into the sets of threes, uh, the Old Testament is a redemptive story, God trying to build a friendship with people. So raise your hand if you are breathing this morning. Anyone breathing? Yeah. So if your hand is up, that means that God is after you. He wants to be a very real presence in your life. He wants a friendship with you, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how you think. If you are breathing this morning, God is after you and he wants a friendship with you. And the Old Testament is the story of God pursuing a group of people, the Israelites, to have that kind of a friendship. And and it goes in a cycle, something like this. They're friends of God And then they begin to fade, 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 fade. So God sends these prophets and these warning signs and says, Stop, you're over here, you used to be over here. Come on back. And then they refuse to listen. And then God brings judgment on the nation. He drives them to their knees so that they come back to him. And then they come back to him and it's honeymoon season again. And then they fade, 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 fade. And God warns them again. And then he they don't listen to them, and then there's judgment, and then they come back, and there's honeymoon, and they fade, 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 fade. Okay, so that's the cycle that goes through the Old Testament again and again and again. As you get lost in this cycle, and you may feel like, oh my gosh, this is dry, they just said that, the last chapter, all these names, here are a few, a few um, kind of rally points to bring yourself back uh, into, into focus. <clears throat> 
The first is this. In the Old Testament, in the midst of, of some beatdowns that God throws to regulate, it's important to remember that, that God is first a merciful God. So a lot is, is spoken of, and, and a lot of people, um, once they've been around the Bible for a while, ask the question, why is the God of the Old Testament so much different than the God of the New Testament? When we think of the God of the New Testament, he comes through in shades of grace and love and forgiveness and the teachings of Jesus, kindness. And then the Old Testament seems like this wrathful, irritable, grumpy old man kind of God. Urgh! Just shaking his fist and beating people with his cane. These are the kinds of things that happen in Scripture after all other avenues are exhausted. And it's really important to remember in the Old Testament when it seems like God is angry and wrathful and unpleasable that really those moments come when every other avenue has been exhausted. So take a look at 2 Chronicles 36. This is a really important passage of the Bible. 2 Chronicles 36. The Lord, the God of their ancestors sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. In other words, because God was interested in people and compassionate toward people, he sent them warnings again and again and again. But they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words or they discounted the words of the messengers and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. The spirit of this is God tried because of his mercy to intervene again and again and again. But when it became clear to him that there was no remedy to the wayward hearts of people, he stepped in in judgment. But even that was redemptive in nature. Because his ultimate goal was to bring them back close to his heart again. Sometimes in the monotony of that cycle of the Old Testament, we can trail off and doze off. But let that monotony remind you, it's repetitive because God's mercy led him to say the same message again and again and again and again to try to win his people back. God is patient. The other thing to keep in mind in this idea of the merciful God is that just because something bad is happening in your life, it doesn't mean that God is smiting you. Sometimes we look at the, at the anger of God in the Old Testament and how he steps in and disciplines, and we look at our own life, and we see some bad things, and it's tempting to believe that God is crushing you. But with every diagnosis or every bad thing that happens with your job or your finances, it doesn't mean God's stepping in and slamming you. In the Bible, if God steps in to issue discipline, there has been warning after warning after warning. And even if it is God stepping in to discipline you, that's a good thing for you because it means God is still interested in seeing you turn around and rebuild a friendship with him. But when something bad happens, don't fall into the temptation of thinking that God is slamming you 
Because in the Bible, there's always warning after warning after warning before God steps in. And even if there's not warning after warning, there's something clear. God has in some way said clearly, this is what's happening and this is why. Okay? So, that's the first thing is, God of the Old Testament is a merciful God who acts in wrath only when he's exhausted all other options. Number two, in our first set of threes, Israel is you. Now, this is really important because it's tempting to look through the Old Testament and think this is a people group that lived thousands of years ago. How in the world does this matter for me today in my life? I mean, I have my own problems. How is what they did thousands of years ago relevant to me? Remember that the New Testament says time and again that Israel, while a real nation with real people, was highly symbolic of us as individuals. So the name Israel means struggles with God. And that's the name that God chose for his people, strugglers, God wrestlers. And it's because he looks at us and understands that we will wrestle with him. There are highs, there are lows, there are victories, there are failures. We're a mess. Israel was a mess. When we read about them, we try to find links. Yeah, I'm like that. And here's what God did. And, and it always comes back around to redemption. So when you're reading and maybe you get a little bored, try to find similarities between the spirit of Israel and our own human spirit because that's God's intention is to speak to us and who we are through the Israelites of the Old Testament. And then number three, in our first set of threes, a big picture Old Testament, God really only wants one thing. He wants for them as individuals to be fully devoted to him. And so it's easy to get lost in life. And you look at the mortgage and you look at the job and you look at just personal ambition and marriage and friendships and parenting. And, and it just, it can be overwhelming. We can look at the Old Testament and go back and realize God really only wants one thing. He wants you to be devoted to him. And by asking ourselves, what is God telling me? And doing all we can do to be obedient to that. That's a pretty good recipe for success. So take a look at 2 Chronicles 16. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> There's a king in it who makes a treaty to avoid war because he's afraid of this other army versus trusting in God. And here's what God says. Because you relied on the king of Aram... And not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. In other words, you would have won the battle outright. Instead, you made a treaty. Weren't the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? And when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And here we go. Here's the money verse. Ready? For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those who heart, whose hearts are fully committed to him. All God is looking for is for somebody who will do whatever he says and he will fully support and fully strengthen them. Doesn't mean that they don't have bad things in their life or battles. Israel clearly did. It means that what God really wants from you is to see that your heart will do whatever he says. 
And if we can do that in life, we can expect the strong hand of support from God. So all this stuff that we read about that gets confusing in details, it all comes down to one thing. It's not the wisdom of the king. It's not tactical stuff in war. It's did God have their heart? And so the thing to keep coming back to in the Old Testament is to say, does God have my heart? Because that's all that really matters. All right. On to chapter 16. Some of you have read it. Some of you are going to read it. It's the story of the, the, the split kingdom of Israel, Israel and Judah, in their constant struggle with getting it right with God. And the first lesson from chapter 16 is that God will always send warning signs. God is a God of warning signs. He's a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, hundredth chances. He's always sending warning signs. He did for Israel. He will for you and I. So it goes like this. Think in terms of a 200-year timeline. Uh, most of the action that are in these couple chapters of the stories took place on a 200-year timeline, so about the length of our life as a nation. There are 38 kings. 33 of those 38 kings have a one-sentence legacy. King such-and-such such did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Failed legacy of 33 out of 38 kings. They set up idols and festivals and encouraged the Israelites to do things that other nations did, worship how other nations worshipped, and God would step in and send prophets. So over that same 200 years, there are 33 bad kings and nine prophets who were anointed by God with power to do something, to speak into the situation of the culture. They tried really hard to get people to turn around and put God back on the throne. So for decades, Isaiah, who was one of the main prophets in the history of Israel, for decades, he would go to the kings and to the people and say, turn your hearts around or you're going to be destroyed for decades before God actually stepped in. Now let me give you a little spoiler here. This is the book of Isaiah. Long book in the Old Testament. This is the book of Isaiah. Get your act in order, or God is going to send people from the north to destroy you. And you're going to leave your land and be exiled and be a laughingstock to all people. And then God's going to slam them for slamming you because he still loves you. And then God's going to redeem you, and then God's going to redeem them so that everybody worships him. And oh yeah, it's going to take a savior Messiah to get that done. Isaiah says that over and that same message over and over and over and over and over again throughout the book of Isaiah. And that represents decades of real time of him going and saying the same thing over and over and over again. And the people refused to listen to the warning signs. And then God steps in and the Assyrians clean house against the Israelites after 
repeatedly ignoring warning signs. So here's our takeaway, our first takeaway in our second set of threes. We have warning signs in our life. It's how God has built God has conducted business like this since the start. God has built creation around warning signs. They're all over the place. And if you ignore the warning signs in your life, and if I ignore the warning signs in my life, calamity will hit. Sometimes things just hit without warning. That's life. But oftentimes, the worst things come after we ignore all kinds of warning signs. So here was one of Isaiah's warnings. Just, I just want to read this um, so you can see it. Isaiah 3.1 says, See now the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all supplies of food and all supplies of water. So that was one of the dozens and dozens and dozens of warnings in Israel. He's saying, or in Isaiah, he's saying, you're going to lose the things that you live by if you don't get your act together. That was a warning for their life. Let's talk about warning signs in our life. And they ignored it, and calamity came. If we ignore things, same deal. Okay, let's, let's start off simple. Physical uh, warning signs. Are you feeling unusually fatigued? Are you getting sluggish? Tightness in the chest? Shortness of breath? These are very real physical warning signs. God made his creation with warning signs built in. And if you or I ignore the warning signs that God has given us, bad things happen. It could be that the most spiritual thing you can do next week is to go see a doctor because there are some warning signs. Or walk a couple miles a few times a week. Something to take care of the physical warning signs in your life. You don't ignore warning signs. They are God's way to say, hey, I'm still in this, and you got to do something different. Let's move on to marriage, if you're married. Very rarely do couples just wake up from like a berry white kind of wedding and marriage and end up in a B.B. King sort of blues kind of relationship doesn't just happen overnight. It happens over years of ignoring the warning signs. And then suddenly you don't know who you're with anymore. Are you feeling distant? Do you go for days without talking? Is there resentment? Are you avoiding each other? Don't ignore those warning signs. They don't just go away and leave you with a great marriage. You can't get to there by doing what got you here. And so, if it's time for a marriage counselor, if it's time to read some books together, take the steps. Don't ignore the warning signs. I can help you get to a good marriage counselor. I don't know what I'm doing, so I don't do that kind of thing, but I can get you to people who do. I can recommend the books that all the marriage counselors recommend. Take it seriously. Don't ignore the warning signs. How about your finances? Is there guilt or stress? You know, two of God's primary warning signs in the world are guilt and stress. If you're feeling that, it's often a warning sign. Now I'm going to step in here with a stinger. Here's a warning sign from God. Multiple places in the Bible, God says, if you are not using at least 10% of your income... 
to support his causes and be generous outwardly, if you are not giving away at least 10% to the poor and other things that are close to the heart of God, and that hurts. But if you're not doing that, the Bible says you're robbing God. It says it plain as day. And there'll be consequences associated with that. That's a warning in Scripture. And so maybe it's time to take a good, hard look at your financial picture and ask, am I being obedient here? And treat that as a warning sign. Because those warning signs are there for a reason. God wants the best for you. And if we ignore his warning signs, it will usually result in some kind of judgment because ultimately God knows that he needs to amp it up to get us back to where we need to be. Same is true in the spiritual realm, in your spiritual life. There are warning signs. One warning sign is losing your inner convictions. Maybe you look at your life and you realize that you have some things that you know shouldn't be there, and it used to bother you that they're there, and it doesn't anymore. It means you're distancing yourself from God in the voice of His Spirit. That's a warning sign. If you look at your life and you realize, man, I haven't read Scripture in a month. I haven't really talked to God in two months. That's a warning sign. Something's missing that should be there in a growing relationship. Step in and do something different. Don't ignore the warning signs because God could get your attention in other ways. Not as a punishment, but as an act of redemption because what he's doing now with the warning signs isn't enough. <laughs> so that's our first part in the set of threes over chapter 16 is it's all about warning signs and they're everywhere and we shouldn't ignore them or bad things could result either as natural consequences or as God saying I need you back in a relationship the second piece of chapter 16 is understanding idolatry and making it relevant to us. It's very obvious early on in your reading in chapter 16 that Israel's main problem was idolatry. That means they worshipped other gods. So you see this in 2 Kings 17, right at the start of chapter 16 in your story. It says, All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. They worshipped other gods. So there were many gods in those days that were worshipped, and the Israelites began to build altars and, and um, idols and things like that, and they would worship them. Now, it's easy for me to say, well, you know what, that was the main problem in all of my issues. I'm good because I don't worship other gods. And, and I don't know your background, but chances are you've never taken a block of wood and whittled out a bird and set it up on your you know, mantle and bowed down before it burnt sacrifices to some statue in the backyard. But the New Testament says, hold on a minute, idolatry is more than just worshiping some man-made thing. Take a look at what Colossians 3 says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature or your flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed... 
can fit just about anything that we struggle with in one of those categories, which is idolatry. <clears throat> so if idolatry is the main problem, Paul is saying idolatry really isn't just about a, a wooden statue or a golden calf. Idolatry is about something other than God being enthroned on your heart. So we look at our lives and we say, is there something in my life that I have put above God? And this can be tricky. It can be tough to figure out what those things are. So what I have here, um, Kyle Eidelman recently wrote a book called Gods at War. And it covers this very topic. So what I want to do right now is take a, take a moment and, and, and um, I want to journal a little bit. I'm not going to actually you know, write in my journal, but I know a lot of you said that you want to start journaling, and these are the kinds of things that can help. So I want to challenge you to maybe write down these questions, or I'll try to remember to put them on Facebook later on this week. <clears throat> Don't hesitate to remind me, message me on Facebook or something, or email me to do that. These are seven questions that could point you toward possible idolatry in your life, okay? So take some time this week to work through these questions. Number one, what are you disappointed with? What are you disappointed with? It can be anything, love life, relational status, sex life, size of your house, your career. What disappoints you? Nothing inherently wrong with any of these things we might say. We're just looking for themes here. Is there something we've elevated too high in life? What disappoints you? So you take a spiral notebook and you write that question, just write some thoughts on it later on this week. Number two, what do you sacrifice your time and money for? In other words, if, if you, you only have so much time and money, what do you choose to do with it over something else? So, so this is a priori priority kind of questions. Where are your priorities? What gets the time? What gets the money in your life? Again, nothing inherently wrong with any of these. Question number three, what do you worry about? I have to keep a separate journal just for that. What do you worry about? This could help you figure out something that's been elevated too highly. Where do you go when you're hurt? It's a really important question. Where do you go? Bad day at work? Something happens? You're feeling just emotional pain, physical pain? Where do you go? Is it alcohol? Trying to buzz off the pain? Is it the nearly omnipotent sausage egg McMuffin? That'll cover a lot of pain in life. You turn to a secret relationship. Go buy something on the credit card. Where do you go when you're hurt? Because God wants to be that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with having some vices to help take the edge off. But this is an important question to realize, man, I'm, I'm a little too far over here. What makes you mad? Question number five, what makes you mad? Number six, what brings you the most joy? 
Now again, you're not looking at those things and saying, oh, that's an idol. But if there are certain themes, it might help point out, okay, I'm, I'm turning a little bit more over to this than I should be. Or I'm a little more, I'm a little too focused on the pursuit of this. Number seven, whose applause do you seek? Coach Urban Meyer, before um, the Oregon game, asked his players, why do you do what you do? Hoping that they would gather focus around you know, each other. I play for you and I play for you. Why do you do what you do? Whose applause do you seek? Who are you playing for? I remember in the early days of Polaris, like 1999, when we just got started, we met in the rec center, in the Brunswick Rec Center. And I was 22 years old. We had a staff of uh, five um, pastors, huge staff to start with. And I was definitely, by any standard, the lowest one on the totem pole. And um, I, when, when I had my opportunities to speak on Sundays, I, I, just, I just wanted to do a good job. I wanted to prove that I could be up there. I wanted to be liked by people. And so I found myself, I would go back to the um, locker room before, before my sermon and work through everything, and just, I was a wreck. And it wasn't like I was thinking, oh man, this is my opportunity to speak for God. This is my opportunity to teach people about Jesus. This is my opportunity to, to bring some hope to someone who's, no, it was, I want them to think I did a good job. They were my audience. And I realized at some point, man, this, this is all. That, that, that My audience should be God and God alone. So whose applause do you seek is a pretty important question as we try to find faithfulness to God versus idolatry. All right, let me do one more thing here. Number three is, the, is, is Hezekiah's lesson. Hezekiah sees the Assyrians sweeping down through Israel. And after hundreds of years of prophecy, decades from Isaiah saying, hey, they're going to come from the north. They're going to sweep through. If you don't get your life right, he sees the warning signs and he responds. Not by military tactics or anything like that. <coughs> He responds by going to God and confessing where he's at. He responds by opening up the temple. The temple was actually closed for business. Like where you came to worship God was closed. And it was filled with idols. It says he repaired the temple doors and he removed the defiled things. And he recentered his life around God. And God stepped in immediately because God is redemptive. This is good for us when we look at our life and, and maybe you found some idols that you know were there, some things in your life that you know shouldn't be there and you're brought down low, realized, oh my gosh, I am a million miles away from where I want to be. What we learn from Hezekiah in the Old Testament is no matter how bad things are, you can be in the midst of judgment from God. Ultimately, your first step is to go back and say, God, I'm all in. I'm going to get this junk out of my life. I'm going to rely on you for forgiveness. And God says, all right, let's rebuild. 
That is the resounding message through the Old Testament is a message of grace. And so take a look at your life. And if it's time to get those temple doors opened up again and get the defiled things out of your life, God is always ready to start fresh with you. Let's pray. God, we come before you now and and we are broken and messy. And we take comfort in your word because it's written the way it is for a reason. It's written to show that you are well aware of the sin and you love us anyway. And you're aware of the idolatry and you pursue us anyway. And so we're here to say we surrender. We see the warning signs and we want more. We want your strong support. We want friendship with you. We want you on the throne of our hearts. Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen.